Mother's Day is, uh, I've told you before, those of you who are guests maybe hadn't heard me say this, but one of the um, two, three days, Sundays of the year that I would go to church as a child growing up was Mother's Day. This was, I thought it was part of the spiritual calendar like Easter and Christmas. I thought Mother's Day somehow was significant in, in the great theological scheme of things uh, because that was one of the days that we would go to visit my grandmom and go to her church and everything, and I would you know, dress up and do the whole deal. So um, it's kind of, a, kind of a cool day. Mother's Day also reminds me of the fact that I, I don't think I realized until I was an adult uh, especially when I became a parent, what goes into raising children? There's so much behind the scenes that you never think about, or at least you don't until you're grown, and the sacrifices that are made. Um, and that the, the fact that a life with a child, whether it's a baby or a, a child, you know, an adolescent or even an adult child, uh, life is a, it's full of constant interruptions, right? I mean, your, your life is interrupted, and it's inter- mothers are just, just given to that. It's almost like that's part of their game plan. And I, I think that happens in big ways. Um, one of our children asked, you know, how come we don't drive a cool little car like that? Hello, you know, because we won't fit in that. Yeah, I would love to drive that car. You know, or why can't we do that? And I know some of you put your career on hold. You, you said, I'm, it's going to interrupt what I'm doing because I've, I've kind of got to go with the flow with my children. I'll get back to my life at another time. It comes with little interruptions. You settle in for the evening and you get that call. Hey, can you come get me? I've got practice. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And moms, God bless you because you are so willing uh, to be interrupted to see good things happen. And let me just encourage you with this. It's, it seems to me that God does some of his best stuff, some of his best works, his deepest ministry in children's lives in the moments of interruptions. And what may feel like an annoyance or an inconvenience or, you know, ah, oh, this is not what I had a plan, you know, we, I wanted to go this God moves in those places in amazing ways. Uh, so, so be encouraged and just flow with it, you know, just, just to go with that. Today, I want to introduce you to a set of brothers who were also interrupted. And they were interrupted by this intriguing character whose message captured their imaginations and really changed the direction of their life. And their story, uh, at least when we first meet them, is in the Gospel of John. It's in the first chapter. And I'm going to begin just by reading um, what happened with them. This is in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. After Jesus was arrested, excuse me, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee preaching the good news of God. The time was fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, believe in the good news. As he was passing along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother. They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them. I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And then right after that, there's a story of two uh, other brothers who a very similar kind of thing uh, happened in 
their life. And I want you to remember as we begin this new series that these are Jesus' first public words. Nobody knows Jesus. He's kind of the new guy on the scene. There's something uh, exciting that's about to happen. And we've got to believe that, you know, if you're, this is your introduction, you're going to choose those first words pretty carefully, right? You kind of want that to be something important. So before we get to the brothers, let's take a minute uh, just to understand what it is that Jesus is saying here. He said the time has come. The moment is fulfilled. In other words, something's about to happen. Something new, something fresh. This is something different than what you've seen before. And that something that he's talking about is the kingdom of God. Now, when first century Jews heard this phrase, kingdom of God, they had some preconceived ideas of what that's going to feel like and look like. And what they would have been thinking of would be a political kingdom. The kingdom of God is in. Oh, finally, finally, we're going to be able to make this shift and we're going to be released from bondage. We're not going to be under the Romans anymore. It's a brand new day. So they were kind of locked in and that's all they could think. And, and it, was, it was so hard during this entire span of ministry that's about to unfold, uh, even to this day in, in a lot of ways, just didn't get that. You know, when we hear the kingdom of God, we tend to think of probably heaven when the kingdom of God comes, and, and we have th those kind of ideas. And actually, at the end of the day, we're both wrong. The kingdom of God is not about a time or a place. The kingdom of God is a life. It's a life lived under the rule of God. And when Jesus announced the kingdom of God has come near, he's announcing that this new and better life will be available now not in some other distant time or place or future or wrapped around some other kind of concept. He said, no, it's here and now. And that, of course, was good news. It's good news. But to experience this kingdom life, you have to do two things. Repent and believe. The word repent is probably familiar with uh, many of us. It literally means to turn around to turn away from one thing and to turn, you know, towards something else, to point in a, in a new direction. But when you think about that, you think, well, what am I turning around from? What am I turning from and, and pointing towards? What, what is that about? And we typically understand, at least if you've got any kind of religious culture, you know, if you've been raised in the South, you probably get this, even if you haven't been in church. It just means to repent of sin. That makes sense from the things that we do wrong. But I want you to notice something Jesus doesn't say, repent of your sins. He just says, repent. Repent. And then we assume that part because it, it, it does make sense. And while it's certainly appropriate to repent of your sins, and I think that's where it begins, and to repent has to start at some place. But what I want you to get today, I want us to think bigger about this. It's more than just repenting from sin. And this may be a concept you think, I haven't, I don't think I've heard it like this or, 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 or put this way. To repent means to turn away from what you're doing and to embrace wholeheartedly what God is doing. In other words, it's maybe it means to trade in your old life for a new way of life, for God's way of life. It's going to be a different kind of a thing. 
I just want you to make note of that because we're, we're going to come back to that idea in just a moment. When, then he says believe. To experience the kingdom of God, you have to believe that such a life is possible and that it's available to you. And this root word that goes into the word believe is actually the same word that we use for faith. When I say I have faith in something, it kind of ups you know, the, the ante a little bit. It, it, it makes it a little stronger. I don't just believe, yeah, I believe that. No, I believe it. I have faith in that. You see, it's a, little, it's a little bigger. It's not a word that means just intellectual assent. Okay, yeah, I, I, I get that. I, kinda, I, I, I think that's true in my head. Believing isn't just understanding and agreeing. It means to act upon something, to enter into it because you believe it. That's, that's really the essence of what I want you to get out of that. Let's say, uh, for instance, you're afraid of flying. That just really, you're not sure why, uh, where that comes from. You've you just never been able to get on an airplane. That just, you know, you're intrigued with the idea of flying. Uh, and you decide, you know what, I, I, can't, I don't know if I can live like this for, forever and ever, so I'm going to do some investigation about that. So you talk to some of your friends uh, who fly, and you ask them, can you tell me, what was that like? And they describe their experience. They go, oh, it's great, and here's what you do. And, and how does it feel when, when that starts taking What about when it lands? What is that, what is that like? And, and, and you, you get that idea. Then you do some reading, and you Google that, and you, know, you kind of you check it out, and you learn that flying is one of the safest ways to travel. And it's real efficient. It's real quick. And uh, maybe you take it the next step and say, you know, I'm, I'm kind of leaning into this. I'm moving toward that. So you join a fear of flying group. Every Tuesday night, you meet with these folks, and, you know, maybe 8 o'clock, and you go, hey, I'm Dan, I'm really afraid of flying. And maybe you have guests to come in, and they talk about, oh, one time I was in this plane, and here's what happened. And, they, and, and everybody talks about that. And, and you begin to get a little more comfortable because you discuss your fears, and you ask questions. Well, what about when this happens, and wh- how does this work? And, and eventually, you come to a place where you believe to fly is a safe and efficient way to travel. You know, you take that step, you cross over that line, you think, I, be- I believe that. So here's what you do. You buy yourself a ticket, you head to the airport, you walk through the gate, you know, and first you go through security, about 10 layers of that, and submit yourself to all kinds of humiliating things, and, and you know, once they decide you're okay, then you, you go through the, the next thing, and you're at the gate, and you go down the jetway, and it's this little tunnel, and you think, oh, I don't think, I, I should have asked more questions. I'm not sure about this part. I don't remember them telling me that this would feel so weird or so, so closed up. And you're standing in that, you know, that little alcove where you can drop off your, your carry-on stuff, and you're kind of waiting to, to get in at bottlenecks right there as you get on the plane. And you notice, well, I can see daylight between the, the thing here and the plane. And, wow, the plane, those bolts on the, are those rivets? Really? They use rivets to hold this together? How, how strong is that? And it looks dirty, and the pilot looks tired. You know, and you start, you start looking, and you start thinking about these things. And you look down in the crack, and you, and you see, oh, there's a mechanic down there by the wheels. What, what is he? Is he working on something? If he's working on something, that means something's broken. Uh, he's he's got to fix that, and I'm not so sure. And you begin to to realize, and, and I don't know if I take one more step. I'm you're about to enter a whole new reality. Once you're on that plane and you're seated, you've submitted yourself to the plane. 
Yes, you will be able to do, once you're in the plane, whatever the plane can do. If the plane can fly at 30,000 feet at 600 miles an hour, so can you because you're in the plane. But you also have to submit yourself. And you sit down and you think, well, I'm in, I've been in control of my life for a long time. And this 20-year-old girl comes by and says, buckle that seat belt. You're not telling me. You know what? I could be your grandfather. I'm not. You tell me. Buckle that seatbelt or you're off the plane. You know, I mean, she's got that authority. You go, okay, yes, ma'am. And you, and you need to put that under your feet. And is that an electronic device? I've watched you. Every time I walk by, you close it up. But then when I leave, you sneak it back open. And I caught you. That's a Kindle or that's an iPad. And I need you to close it back up. I get busted uh, for that. I think it's, I'm not going to crash the plane because I'm trying to read a book. But you do what they tell you to do. Put that in the overhead and sit up straight and put that tray table. What are you thinking? And, and you submit yourself to that. But in that submission, you have this beautiful freedom to travel anywhere in the world at an amazing speed. But let's say you get to that place and, and you start thinking uh, at the last minute, I don't know, I don't know, this is all so new. Why do I have to do it today? I mean, it's not that big a deal, right? And I'm just... I, I think I will fly sometime, but I, I'm not going to right now. I, I change my mind. I change my mind. And you turn around and, you know, you run back down and you think, I, 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 you guys go ahead. You guys, I, I just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Do you, don't, you, don't you think that, you know, all the meetings and the, re, yeah, I understand. And I believe, I honestly believe it's a great way to travel and I think it's safe. I just don't want to do it right now. You know, the, the, the thing I would ask is, do you really believe that it's safe to fly? Yeah, I, I, I do. No, 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 no. See, you may understand that it's safe to fly. You may agree that your life would be happier if you could fly. But until you're prepared to enter the plane and submit yourself to the plane, you don't really believe in flying. I want you to get something really important. In the same way, you haven't really believed in the good news of God until you've entered into that reality. Until you've actually invited him to rule your life. God, I want to submit to you. And I repent of my life. And I give you mine. And I'm going to say something. I'll probably get a response on email or something, but... I think there's a lot of people kidding themselves. I think there are a lot of people in my family and in my neighborhood and my friendships that if you were to ask, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah. Why do you think that? Because I believe in Jesus. I believe in the I believe the whole thing. But do you, have you submitted yourself to him? No, I don't live like I should. You know, that, that thing. No, I know I don't. I'm not there and I, I'm not in wow, you know, I'm, I'm having a problem because the more I read the New Testament and the more I understand the gospel, just checking that off your list and saying, I, I think I believe it intellectually, I embrace that, and so I'm there, I'm a Christian. This is going to be bold for some of you to hear. You're not a Christian. That's not Christianity. That's, you, you've missed what that is. You can agree with the good news. You can understand the good news. You can do all of those things. 
But until you enter the experience and surrender yourself to his rule, you're not there yet. And I understand it takes time before you're ready to take that step. And so I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not trying to say, so you better do. Wow, you may be in a car wreck when you get out on the pike on the way home. And oh, I'm so, so sorry. You thought you were in, but you're not in. And I'm not just going to leave you hanging there. But I'm also not going to try to, uh, you know, to kind of try to get you to sign something. or, or do the, Because I want this to be real for you. I want this to be a decision that you embrace and that you step into um, with full understanding of what that means. I can't tell you how many people I meet, and I bet you do too, how many people I have spiritual conversations with who will say, yeah, when I was six, yeah, when I was eight, yeah, when I was 15, I did this thing. I went through this ritual or I was, something happened, and then I walked away from that, and I'm just not sure where I am. I lived that life. Some of you have lived that life, and there's a lot of confusion, I think, because we don't go into it with our eyes open. So I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. I'm not trying to tell you, oh, all you got to do is just sign right here and check these two boxes, and you're in. Do this religious thing, you're in. No, this is living under God's rule. It's submitting yourself to him. You say, once I'm in the plane and I'm seated and I'm buckled in, I'm yours. I'm going wherever this airplane's going. I'm going as high as it goes. I'm going as fast as it goes. I'm going to land wherever it lands because I'm in. When you're in Christ, you're in his life. and You've repented of your life. That's really, really what that means. So the first words out of Jesus' mouth are, the time has come. The kingdom has come near. Repent and believe the good news. In other words, something new is happening God is establishing his rule in the hearts of people. So you got to turn away, not just from sin, but from your old way of living and enter into this new way, this new kingdom. It's a new place. What does that look like? And I can remember as I was doing my investigation and as I was talking to friends and I was visiting churches and I went around to all different kind of denominations and just, I, I wanted to know the reality and the substance behind this. What does it mean for me to trade in my old life for kingdom life? Well, let's get to these two other brothers because Mark has placed this story of the call of Simon and Andrew right here. I think very purposely to illustrate what it means to repent and believe the good news. Mark doesn't tell us a lot about these brothers. In John's gospel, we learn that they were disciples of John the Baptist. And what that means is that they had probably already heard Jesus. This wasn't a, who are you and what what are you talking about? Where did you come from? No, they they had heard him teach. They had been around. They had kind of checked him out. This wasn't new. They had heard about Jesus. Um, Mark doesn't tell us that. I think he wants us to feel the drama of this surprising encounter and this meeting with Jesus and this sudden impact that it has on their lives. The only thing he tells us about it about these guys is that they were fishermen. He gives us their occupation. And isn't it funny that in the first century, it's just like it is today. You meet somebody, and the first thing you ask is, so what do you do? What do you do? Where, I'm a student. Oh, I work downtown. or oh, I, I drive a truck. I, you know, that's the first thing people want to know. What about your occupation? So Mark just throws that information in for us. Uh, they're fishermen. And fishing was a respectable, a generally pretty profitable business uh, at this time in Galilee. 
There are a lot of mouths to feed in, in Galilee. There are plenty of fish in the lake. So understand that these guys are not paupers. They're, they're not losers. They're not, they're not like going nowhere kind of guys. And that would be okay if they were. There's several of those are, stories are going to come up too. But chances are they're making a decent living. They're just regular guys. They had families. They had homes. They belonged to a tight-knit fishing community. You know, they knew each other's names. They pulled for the same teams. They went bowling on Friday nights. They went to see Thor on Saturday. They, you know, they do all the things if they could. It's kind of like Fred Flintstone. You know, you always picture them doing everything we do. Okay. Uh, they did whatever they did for fun in Capernaum at the time together. And if you ask them, how are you guys doing? Uh, they probably wouldn't have gotten all philosophical on you and said, well, we're just seeking answers in life. And we know there must be more. You know, they, it wasn't like that. They were just guys. They would have probably looked at each other and looked back at you and said, life is good. We're fishing. We're getting paid to go fishing. How great is that? Yeah, we're digging life. Life is good. But then Jesus comes along and he interrupts that. He interrupts their life. He interrupts their work. That's this surprising invitation. Come, follow me. He says, I will send you out to fish for people. That's surprising on a, on a couple of levels. First of all, it's highly unusual for a rabbi to call his own disciples. It just wasn't what you do. Usually it's the other way around. A student would approach a respected rabbi or teacher and ask them, can I be one of your disciples? I would like to follow you. Would you mentor me? And I'm just going to write down things that you say, and I'm going to listen to you, and I really think you've got some answers. And, it, would that be, and that's how it was done. So this is a little weird. It's a little presumptuous for Jesus to walk up to these guys and go, hey, uh, I'd like for you to follow me. So apparently he wanted these two fishermen specifically. The second surprising thing to me about this is he says, come and follow me. You wouldn't have done that. Come study the Torah with me. That would be cool. That would be appropriate. Come and let's learn together and I'll teach, you know. But come follow me? Rabbis were tutors in the ways and the words of God. That's what they were all about. They weren't the focal point. And each rabbi had a distinctive approach to interpreting and applying scriptures. And some could communicate at one level and some others, and some had kind of a, a special bent in their personality. And, you know, it's, it's just, they kind of attracted different kind of people, and people would go up to them and say, I think you're a fit for me. I, I kind of like this. But Jesus, something totally unexpected, he makes it personal. He says, yeah, that's great, that's great, that's great. What I want you to do is to follow me. Me. Not just my way of understanding Scripture, not just my ideas, my way of living, my life. I want you to apprentice yourself to me. So the first thing Jesus does is invite these two brothers into a personal relationship with him. And he invites them, I want you to be with me all the time. I want you to learn from me. I, I, I want you to become like me. That's what this is all about. And there must have been something so compelling about Jesus that his way of life and who he was just so captured 
these brothers' hearts and their imaginations. They look around at their career and their lifestyle and everything they've got going for them. They go, okay, we'll do it. And have you ever said yes to a big change in your life? And there's that moment of fearfulness and well, what if we do? And what if we, that means this is going to change and that. But then when you do, there's that excitement. You know, there's that, oh my goodness, what have I just done? Oh, why, oh, we, I, don't, I remember we moved to, to Knoxville from Memphis, and we had only been here once. We had driven through on vacation once to the mountains, and we didn't know much about Knoxville. Uh, you know, but I can remember uh, flying home and, and thinking, this is, this is the place where God wants us. And talking and praying about that together, and then a, a sense of excitement, and then something new and fresh, and it's going to mean, oh, it's a whole new town, and all new faces, and new streets you've got to learn, and oh, we've got to get a house because we can't live in this house anymore. You know, I mean, just all everything changes. They left their nets, they left their business, they followed Jesus. And for some of us in the room this morning, that, that's how our Christian experience began. There we were, minding our own business, just living a good life, maybe living a hard life. Uh, maybe you were desperate, maybe you were not. Jesus comes along, and he just interrupts us. I was working at an ad agency at, at a, you know, as a layout artist. I was doing okay. I was hanging out with my friends, and I had, I had my life. And the Lord came along and said, I think I want you to do something different. And I remember this sense of calling. I want you to go into ministry. And, and the first time I told some of my friends, they're like, seriously? You're going to be one of those guys? And I go, no, I don't think I'll be one of those guys. And here I am. I'm one of those guys. But, you know, I said, but I, it's something like that. And I think, I think I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to go back to school. And I'm going to go, you're kidding. Did he, call, did he say all of that? I go, no, it just kind of makes sense, though, that. He's not going to call me to go do this and then just say, but just keep doing what you're doing. So six months later, I'm driving my car out of town. I'm moving to a new city. I'm starting enrolled in a new school. I'm, everything's changed in my life. That anticipation and a little fearfulness. Sometimes he just interrupts what we're doing. And that's what he did here. Because we're so struck by him. There's something so different and compelling about his life and his teaching that we just say, I've got to find out more about him. I have to follow him. I remember this point in my life where I sat down with my family, particularly with my, my parents, and I said, hey, I think God wants me to do this, and I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit my job, and I'm going to... I'll never forget the looks in their faces like, oh, where did we go wrong? What did we do? And what, he's, you're being impulsive. And I remember later my dad coming over and, and standing in the doorway to my bedroom saying, I think you need to think this through. I think you're making a big mistake. I think, what, what, how is this going to work? And what about that? And I said, I don't know. I don't have a lot of answers. I just know this is the right thing. I've got a piece about it. I'm just sure I need to follow Jesus in this. He said, I think you're wrong. And you know how that, that, you know, for somebody close to you that you trust and it's given you advice your whole life, and you go, yeah, I'm sorry, unless you just flat out tell me, don't do this, this is what I'm going to do. So I'm not going to tell you that. But I'm going to tell you, I don't feel good about it, and I don't think it'll last. I think you go, and we'll see how long it takes for you to come back. 
You know, later God used that in my life. And I'm not saying you should rebel against your parents. I hope you don't spin it that way or take it that way. But there were times I was just starving to death. I, I mean, I was just so... Oh, that's why I did those revival teams I told you about on the weekends, because I got to eat on the weekends, because it was seven meals during the week. When I met Kathy, I weighed 128 pounds. Now I weigh 130. <laughs> you know what? The moments I'm tempted to give up, and the moment I think, I'm just, this is ridiculous, what am I doing, and I'm broke, and I, I, this is not for me, that, that, that would, you, you'll, you'll, I, thought, I can't quit now. I got to do whatever it takes. I got to do, I got to do whatever it takes. And some of you followed Jesus up to a certain point. Maybe it got tough. Maybe somebody made fun of you. Or maybe it, it called you. You said, oh, they want me to give money? I'm not going to give, I'm not going to do that. I'm out. Or, or maybe you said, I, I need to go this place. Or I need to, uh, they want me to go on a mission trip to, to Haiti. They want me to, they want me to do this and be involved in that. And I'm just, I didn't know it was going to involve all that. They just said, check the box and you won't go to hell. And I, I was good with that. Many of us came to a moment like that. Maybe you were five years old, or you were 15, or you were 15, and you said yes to following Jesus. Maybe it happened suddenly, or maybe it was a, a, a gradual kind of a thing. I think the light was first turned on. I, be, I became interested at one point, and it was probably a couple of years before it was just this, this sudden, okay, I'm in, yes, whatever, it, whatever that happens next, I'm Okay. You may be living a pretty good life. You may be living a bad life right now. You may say, Dan, if you knew the things about me, uh, that's okay. Uh, but ever since that time, your life has been about knowing Jesus better and becoming more like him. That's great. That's a good start. And I know this is a little unusual for me to say these things, but that's only the start. You're just getting started because there's more. Wait, there's more. Was this third surprise about this invitation was that Jesus didn't stop with follow me. And maybe for some of you, you think, well, that, I thought that was it. I thought that was the deal, that he just wanted me to follow him. He went on to say, and you follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. I thought that was optional. I thought that was something you could do afterwards if you really wanted to go that extra mile, you really wanted to be impressive, and you kind of wanted to take it to that level. I didn't know that was part of it. Folks, that's, that's part of it. I know most of us are used to hearing the phrase, fishers of men, uh, but I, I purposely chose this version today to read out of because I wanted you to get what he was saying at this moment. Jesus was certainly using the word men specifically uh, to mean people. People. And secondly, this phrase, send you out, captures more accurately what Jesus is saying. I'm sending you out. I'm not just calling you. I'm sending you. He wasn't just asking, follow me, come with me. I want you to join me in this ministry, in this work. I need you to go out into the world. I need you to serve people. I need you to love each other in my name. This isn't just a clever bit of wordplay. Uh, when Jesus talked about fishing for people, it wasn't just something, you know, like, like guys say, it was, it was, Jesus is making a point. He is making a direct connection between the life they had been living and the life he's calling them to. I'm going to take this business of yours. Let's start with that, fishing. 
You're familiar with that. You're comfortable. You know that. You guys are professionals. Okay, I'm going to take fishing, and I'm going to turn it into a mission. I'm going to take this life of yours. It's a pretty good life. You guys are doing okay. I'm going to turn it into a purposeful life, a life with meaning. I want you to follow me, not just for your sake, but for the sake of others. Now, with that in mind, let me take you back to that word, repent. Remember, we talked about that a moment ago. I said I'd come back. What was Jesus asking these brothers to repent of? I mean, they weren't criminals. They're not slackers. They're not party animals. They're just they're regular guys. They're, they're busy in their community. They, they're successful in their business. I would imagine they're, you know, if they've got families, they're responsible in those relationships. As far as we can tell, they're not even unbelievers. They're not even guys who are antagonistic to, to spiritual things. As far as we know, they're hardworking, church-going family guys. Maybe their language gets a little salty when they're out fishing in the boat. Um, that kind of comes back later. But as far as we can tell, they're living decent lives. What, are they, what, are they, what do you want them to repent of? Now, remember the bigger concept that we learned just a moment ago. To repent is to turn away from what we're doing and to embrace wholeheartedly what God is doing. It wasn't that God, you know, is telling them, what you're doing is so wrong. It's just so wrong. You just got to, you know. No, it's just too small. That's all. It's just too little. And God looked at me in my life and he says, oh, you like doing that? Yeah, I like sitting here on the stool all day with my tables around me and I like going down to Poncho's for lunch and I like going to the clubs at night. That's what I did. And I like my friends and I, I like being in this urban setting. And then God says, you know, some of that's okay, some of it's not so okay, but it's all too small. I want you to live a bigger life than that. It wasn't that they're so smart. They're running a business. Jesus is offering them a mission. He's offering you a mission. They were making a living. Jesus wanted to change lives. Jesus had something so much bigger in mind for these two brothers than just a pretty good life on the shores of Galilee. He wanted them to go out and change the world in his name. I want you to personalize that. If Jesus were to come walking into your life today, if he were to interrupt you uh, tomorrow folding clothes or at work or, uh, you know, on, on the pike, uh, on your way to school and you're walking around the house, you're mowing the yard and, and he says, excuse me, I need you to repent. What might he be asking you to repent of? Maybe when I say that, when I ask you, you what do you need to repent of? I doubt there's many of us in the room go, hmm, I don't know, can't think of a thing. <laughs> I'm good to go. Probably something came to your mind. So we're just going to start over here, and I just want you to shout out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's like, no. Nah. But, you know, it's, 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 it's more, maybe there's some besetting sin in your life. Maybe some tendency, or there's an attitude, or there's a behavior that's wrong. It keeps getting in the way, keeps getting in front of you and the life that, you, you know, you were meant to live. And in that case, repentance begins with turning away from that thing. I'm not going to let you off the hook with that. You need to repent of your sin. But it could be that you're living a pretty good life. You say, Dan, I, I don't know. Nothing just shouts out at me because I, I'm honestly trying to, to follow Jesus. I, I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing, and it's not just about me. Could it be that you haven't really joined him in his work in the world? If that's the case, 
then what Jesus wants you to do is not just to repent of a life that's so wrong. He just wants you to repent of a life that's too small. You've settled for just making a living. You could be making a difference. I want you to read what one commentator said about this passage because I love this and just captures it. And I'll, 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 I'll try to move, move through this quickly, but he says this. This is so good. The call and the response of these fishermen should shatter our comfortable world of middle-class discipleship. Disciples are not simply those who fill up pews at worship on Sundays and attend an occasional Bible study and offer to help out with the work or a ministry at church now and then. Didn't you think that's what it was? When one is hooked by Jesus, one's whole life and purposes are transformed. That's what it means to repent and believe the good news. It means to follow Jesus into a new life, something radically different, to reorient yourself now around Jesus instead of around yourself and around the other things in your life. I'm going to say it again. Until you've done that, you haven't really fully experienced the kingdom of God. And that can make you mad or glad. But here's the point I'm trying to get to. Where did we get the idea? Where did we get the idea that you could follow Jesus and not be on mission? That it was a two-part thing. Who told you that? Probably somebody that was trying to get you to join their youth group or their church or sign you up. And (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I I don't want to be mean. But when did we separate the gospel of just going to heaven with the gospel of going into the world? Jesus didn't die for you just to go into heaven. He died for you to go into the world. When I walked forward in a little church in North Memphis at 11 years old, and I was scared to death, and I didn't know what it was all about, but I heard it, and I watched this Billy Graham movie, and I thought, ooh, that, that's me. That guy's like me. And I'd been hanging around these guys, and I thought, this is, I think this is kind of what needs to be my, my first step. I, Jesus would forgive me of my sins. I got that. That's, pro- that's probably as far as my understanding went. Jesus would be my friend all through my life. Okay, I can't. Jesus would take me to heaven when I die. That's good because every night I prayed that prayer. If I should die before I wake. <laughs> what? I could die? Yeah, and you might die. Good night. You want the lighter on or off? <laughs> could you leave the hall light on? Because so I repented of my sins. And then, prodigal son style, at 19, I I came back to this God that I just wandered from all during my adolescent years. And now, 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 it was all about me and Jesus. And chances are, when you came to Christ, it was was also just you and Jesus. It's just you and me, Lord, it's just us. I know you're going to forgive me. I know you're going to heal my wounded heart. I know you're going to forgive my sins. I know you're going to set me free from this addiction. I know you're going to answer deep questions that I've had about the meaning of life and all of that. The gospel is certainly about you and Jesus. I, I get it. But that's not the whole gospel. And I don't know if we all get that. In fact, in the words of Richard Stearns, it's a gospel with a hole in it. Stearns is the president of World Vision. It's a prominent international relief organization. Um, And he tells a story of of being called away from his comfortable and lucrative position as a CEO of this prestigious company. And to take the helm of this this nonprofit that was focused on serving the neediest people of the world. And that became his vision. 
It wasn't a quick or an easy decision. And he tells this story real honestly and openly in his book. But here's one of the things he writes in the introduction. I just really wanted you to hear this. Being a Christian requires much more than just having a personal and transforming relationship with God. What? I thought that was it. It also entails a public and transforming relationship with the world. If your personal faith in Christ has no outward expression, then your faith has a hole in it. Jesus didn't say, follow me, I'll take you to heaven. He didn't say, you know, he, what he said was, follow me and I'll send you out into the world. The gospel isn't just about Jesus and me. It's about Jesus and mission. It's about Jesus and others. It's about following Jesus for the sake of everybody around me. I know this is tough. But if you're wondering, doing good, why I've chosen to do a series on, uh, on this one idea, this one concept of why should I do good? Why should I do good deeds? Why is that so important? Well, these are my reasons, because it's what we were made for. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says, you know, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. For we are God's handicraft, we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Thought, well, that just went right by me. How, why did I not read that part? You were created in Christ to do good works. That's what he says, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. He didn't save you just to come to church. These verses make clear we're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. That's what you're saved for. We're formed to do good works from the beginning of creation. And we're transformed to do good works when Christ forgave us, when he made us new, when he died on the cross. That's what he had in mind. It's also the, the work of the kingdom. Jesus didn't just announce the kingdom has come. He went out and demonstrated it. What did he do right after this? He fed the hungry. He healed sick. He ministered to the lonely. He blessed children. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Jesus said, okay, I'm saving you to do good works. Let me show you what that looks like. Follow me. Just watch what I do. Just do what I do. And now he says, you're my hands, you're my feet. This is what the world's looking for. Todd Hunter said, people today aren't asking if Christianity is true. They're asking if Christianity is good. Is it good? People are tired of hearing us talk about the good news. They want us to be the good news, to communicate that in real ways that they understand. And the best part when we do, life is good. Life is good. And what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm, I'm challenging with this, is to find creative ways that you can do good. You can just do good. And it can start off so simple. I was reading about this guy in Cincinnati who uh, had this church event, kind of like our night of worship that we had last week that was coming up in his church. And he, he, he decided, his pastor said, I need everybody in here to do a good deed this week. I want everybody, you know, 500 people, we're all going to go do a good deed. Let's see what happens next. And this guy took that seriously, and he began to think, I don't know what I can do. I'm not especially talented. So he went to the soda machine in his work, and he put a little connect card. He put a little invitation card to this event. And then he just wrote a note and he said, God is with you today and God loves you today. And he taped it on every can. <laughs> every can. So everybody got a soda machine. And then he hid in the break room and he watched. You think, this is following Jesus. So he watched it. And one lady gets that and she takes the, she pulls that off. And she just stands there and he said, she just puts her hands up like this. It's like, <sighs> 
And she takes the note and folds it very carefully and she, and she puts it away in her pocket. And later she said, she told him later, she said, I was going through this, you just don't believe my day and my week and what all had happened on the weekend. It was just this, this awful mess. And she said, just to be reminded that God sees me, that I'm not alone, that he's with me. It was just this little thing. He said, I got addicted. I got addicted to doing good things. And he just began doing all these good things. So what I'm going to ask you to do to, to wrap this up, I, I don't want it to stay in this room. This is the life of the kingdom. This is the life that, that Jesus promises us. What would happen if all of us, especially those of you who are regular attenders here at Calvary, if you're members of Calvary, even better, what if we took this summer, we started early, start right now, just doing good? Just doing good. Like an experiment. What would Knoxville what would your home, your workplace, uh, your school, your neighborhood, your apartment complex, what would those environments look like if you were purposeful and specific about doing good? I know it's an interruption. I know you thought, well, I'd rather watch television than to go down to the shelter. Or I'd rather, you know, I had planned to go do this with my friends. Let me just, can we just interrupt things for, for just a season? Let's do good things. Now, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do this. If he would speak to our hearts today about what some of those good things might be, what would some of those things fit into your... You're going to be interrupted. But would you be willing to do that? Band's going to come up, and we've got this really cool song we want to do for you. And during this song, I'm just going to ask that you would say, you know, just in your heart, say, God... I want to follow you, but I also want you to send me. It may be something big, or it may be just in some small ways. I want you to go ahead and write down, think through, punch in this. Here are three good deeds I'm going to do this week. Here are some specific things I'm going to do maybe in my family, at my job. Let's get creative. Let's do good things. Let's do something good this week. Would you stand with me? Let me pray for you. Listen to this song and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart about this. If you've never entered into Christ, it's like you've not stepped in the plane. You thought you believed, but you thought, this isn't the gospel I heard. You'd like to know more. We have counselors here who'd love, love, love to talk with you through that. I'm going to be standing right down here in front. If you need to pray with somebody, the other pastors will be here. Father, thank you so much for today. Oh, Lord, thank you for your, your sweet spirit. Thank you that you didn't just call us out uh, to be saved from our sins and just leave us right there. You, you want us to be interrupted. You want us to have a ministry and a life that's maybe bigger than we thought of. Many of us in this room thought that you were just sharing this good news. And that you just want us to follow you. We, we didn't see that other part. We didn't see that second part. We've had a hole in our gospel that you want to send us. I, I honestly believe in my heart that's what you want to do in this church right now. I believe you want to send Calvary back into this community, back into this world with a gospel, with a message, with love and compassion. I, I think you want to change our culture and our neighborhoods through us doing good. Would you begin that today? Would you begin it this afternoon and tonight and tomorrow and this week at work? Oh, what an adventure. Oh, Father, you.
use us. Send us out. We give you glory. And we pray that through this we will draw people to Jesus. 